Let's open our Bibles, please, to Psalm 138. We didn't quite finish this psalm. I may just bring you up to date on it. We went down to verse 7. I believe it was verse 6, really, is where we ended up. But uh, I'll give you a summary up to it, to that point in time, and then we'll begin at verse 6 and 7 to elaborate a little more, and then Psalm 139, if you will. But let's look at Psalm 138. I told you in our last lesson that David's testimony is given here, and he praised the Lord with wholehearted praise. He says, I will praise thee with my whole heart. That's what God wants, is wholehearted praise from us. Half-hearted, double-minded man, or half-heartedness is not fit for God. And then it says, Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. So we find that he had a bold testimony before rival gods. And then we find in verse 2, I will worship toward thy holy temple. We've already covered this, the reason I'm hurrying it over it. Uh, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. We dealt with that in our last lesson and and have seen here the nature of David's praise. It was uh, for God's loving kindness. God has loving kindness. In fact, he has loving kindnesses, plural. And then his truth is eternal and it's unchanging. The word of God will live and abide forever. And the word of God is quick and powerful. The word of God is, is always a true. And he's magnified that word of truth above all his name. And then in verse 3, David speaks of the fact that God answers his prayers. In the day when I cried, and thou answerest me and strengthen it's me with strength in my soul. We need strength in the inner man. And David could speak from experience, as I'm sure most of us can today, that God does hear when we pray, and He does answer, and He does strengthen. And there have been many times that we felt weak and incapable and uh, inadequate, and yet God has reached down and given us the strength. I love that song Brother Jim sings, Thy strength is perfect. And uh, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. If you feel weak, trust in his strength. The Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. You know, some people can fly like eagles. Some people can run the race. But when it comes to the final outcome of a steady, consistent walk, he says, we shall walk and not faint. So we have to continue on, don't we? That shows continued process, progress in spite of all the other activities we may have had. We may have run at times. We may have even been uh, flying at times. By the way, some of these fellows have, John and uh, uh, Jim have shoes that they're always walking on air. Did you know that? That's what they said before the service. So we can do all kinds of things, but God has to give us the strength, doesn't He, to do any of them. And David could surely speak from experience. And then we get on down to verse 4 and 5. It says, All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yea, they they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. And so there's uh, David's prophecy uh, would be fulfilled that even kings would bow before the Lord and praise Him, and all rulers will eventually be brought, uh, brought to praise the Lord for His great glory. In the future, there's coming a day when Christ uh, shall come. And the Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now then, 
<clears throat> we got down to this verse, verse 6. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. Now, God is high. God is elevated. He's the Almighty. He is the one to be praised. And yet, a great God is uh, with a lowly spirit. It says, but yet he hath respect unto the lowly. We need to realize that Jesus is that kind of a person. He said, I am meek and what? Lowly in heart. He says, come unto me. We quoted it this morning a couple of times. All you that labor and are heavy laden. You know, some of the scripture never gets outdated and never uh, fails to be applicable to what we're speaking about. Because he says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for what I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But it says in the last part of verse 6, But the proud he knoweth afar off. God's attitude toward the proud. It says, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Now then, we come down to where we're supposed to be. Verse 7. Look at verse 7. It says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Have you ever thought about your troubles? And your trials and your tribulations and your temptations. Don't let them get the best of you because David said he had, he claimed the promise of God for his protection and for his help and for his needs. And you and I need to do the same. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies and thy right hand shall save me. David had great confidence in the Lord to help him. And David claimed uh, the promises of God for his protection. In Isaiah 41, verse 10, it says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand, that's the right hand of power, of my righteousness. So he says, Fear thou not. One of the Psalms says, What time I am afraid, I will trust in the Lord. When you're afraid, trust in the Lord. The Bible says in Isaiah, I believe it's 26, maybe verse 3, it says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Don't ever let anything uh, deter or prevent your trust in the Lord in times of trouble. I'm sure we all go through trials and troubles and problems, but the Lord is there to answer our prayers and to help us. It says that, He's there to give us grace in time of need. And so he bids us to come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. David had that confidence in God. In verse 8, let me show you something else. It says, in three things shows David's confidence. First of all, the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. David's confidence in the Lord was that he would perfect those things in him which concerneth me. We all need to be perfected. We quoted this morning in Philippians 1 6 that he hath, that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So God is going to perfect it in us. And that's what David hoped for. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. And then the second confidence he had was in God's mercy. He says, Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Confidence in God's mercy. I want to read Micah chapter 7 and verse 18 says this. Micah, if I can find it, chapter 7 and verse 18. It says, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? 
He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. See, God delights to do this. It's not as if we're uh, presuming, presuming upon God's grace or goodness, because he says he delights to do it. Well, if he delights to do it, it's ours to accept it and to thank him for it. David, after he had sinned, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. That's Psalm 51, verse 1. You study and read that whole psalm. It was after he had terribly sinned, and he began to say, he says, Against thee and thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. He said, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. He says, Make me to know joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. He says, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And then he comes down to the point that he says, Then will I teach transgressors thy way, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. It's then that things begin to happen. When we've truly repented, and we've accepted God's mercy and forgiveness and grace. And you know, in spite of what David did and how wrong he was and how sinful he was, God turned it around and he still was with David. David had to pay for his sin because there's a high price tag to sin. The child died that was uh, conceived in Bathsheba. One son turned against another. Uh, one son raped one of, the, one of his sisters, his own David's daughters. We find that the sword, Nathan said, the sword shall never depart from thy house. Absalom, his dear son that he loved, turned against him, tried to rend the kingdom from him, undermined him on every hand. He says, oh, if I were king in Israel, I would take care of the people. You know, they were going up to the king for judgment. And old Absalom met them by the way. They were going to David. And he kind of sidetracked them a little bit. And he says, oh, if I were king in Israel, just make me king. And I really know how to take care of the situation. Sound like some of our politicians today, doesn't it? And you know that's what he was doing. He was uh, politicking for his uh, for David's uh, throne. And finally, he really turned out to all-out war against him to try to take it. And then, when this conflict was over, old Absalom was hung in the forks of a great oak tree, as his mule ran under it, and there he was slain. And when the word came back to David that the victory is yours, David, the rebellious have, the rebellion's been put down. And then they said, and Absalom also was dead. And he said, oh, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. And so the victory that he won was turned into defeat. A part of the price tag for sinning. As God's child, you're still going to have to pay. Now, the penalty of our sins under the blood of Christ. We're not going to go to hell because we've sinned. Thank God for that. But on the other hand, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And listen, it's still true. And God deals with us as with children. And whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom He receiveth. So don't ever think, just because you're a child of God, one that God loves dearly, that you can go out and rebel against God and sin against God and do wicked things without having to pay the price. There's a high price tag to sinning. And the sword never departed from David's house. We find it in uh, various ones of the Old Testament, Abraham, various others that you could mention. It happened the same way. Noah had to reap what he sowed. He had a lot of problems too. After God brought him through the flood, he went out and he planted him a vineyard and he got drunk, didn't he? 
And he brought great, because of that temptation, he brought great sin and a, and a direct curse upon one of his grandsons. Cursed be Canaan. By the way, it wasn't Ham that was cursed. It was his grandson. The son of Ham. Right? So, we find that uh, there's no way to escape that. With Listen, the last statement here. Uh, the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. So, that's uh, David's confidence in the Lord and perfecting Him. Then, thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. We thank God for His mercy. And then he says, for, forsake not the works of thine own hands. Look what does he say here. David's confidence in God did not make prayer unnecessary. Did you know that? Just because you have confidence in God does not make prayer unnecessary. We're to pray. Uh, Jesus said, When thou prayest, enter into thy closet. Pray unto thy Father in secret. And, when, and thy Father which seeth in thee, thee in secret shall reward thee openly. So, he didn't say if you pray, but when, the, when you pray. Uh, in the book of Ezekiel, let me read it. Chapter 36 of Ezekiel. Chapter 36, beginning with verse 35. It says, And they shall say, This land that was desolate is become like a garden of Eden. You know, we want God to give us a rain because our land is dry. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are become fenced and inhabited. In other words, God was turning things around for them. Then the heathen that are left round about you shall know that I, the Lord, build the ruined places and plant uh, and plant that that was desolate, I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. Get that statement? He said that he's going to restore and he's going to bless and he's going to turn the desolate to become like the Garden of Eden and all these things. And the heathen would know that he is the Lord. But he says, thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. He expected them to pray. In other words, prayer was needed for it to be done. A lot of times we think that we do things ourselves, but God has to do it. And we have to pray. We should pray in order for Him to do it. We need to pray. The Bible teaches that thou, Lord, that hearest prayer. Now let's look at the next psalm, if you will, quickly. Some attributes that belong to God alone. Psalm 139, we see His omniscience and omnipresence and His foreknowledge in this uh, 139th Psalm. First thing we see is that God knows all. This is called the omniscience of God. He knows all about us as individuals. It says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. He knows all about us as individuals. Remember it says in John chapter 2 that Jesus... Uh, knew what was in man. He needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. In another place, in John chapter 6, in verse 64, it says, But there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not. They, that's more than one. And it says, and who should betray him. He also knew that. He knew Judas too. But it was more than just Judas that did not believe. And so he knows about us as individuals. Look at the next verse, verse 2. Hold your place where we're studying, Psalm 139. It says, Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. He knows all about us when we are inactive. When we're not doing what we ought to do. When we're inactive. In Matthew 9, verse 4, it says, And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? They were accusing him of blasphemy. He knows all about hearts. He knows 
us when we are active too. It says, Thou knowest my down sitting. That's inactivity, isn't it? And mine uprising when we're active, when we do something. Thou understandest my thought afar off. He knows our future thoughts. He knows all of our thoughts. The Bible says, The word of God is quick and powerful. Listen. And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit of the joints and marrow. And is a discerner, uh, listen, of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God knows all about the inside. All about the thoughts and intents of the heart. And he knows uh, us completely and thoroughly and thoroughly. In Job 42, verse 2, listen to this verse. It says, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. That's rather amazing, isn't it? We go along in life and we think, you know... If God knows what we're doing, that's pretty pretty much knowledge, isn't it? But He knows not only what we're doing, but He knows what we're thinking. Before we do it, or even if we don't, He knows our thoughts. The Bible says that word is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And then the next verse, Hebrews 4.12, that I quoted, verse 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. So He not only knows, but He sees. And it's all open unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. And then look at verse, uh, the next verse. Uh, verse 3, He says, verse 3 and 4, Thou compasseth my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways, for there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it all together. So He knows us completely and thoroughly. He knows our word there's not a word on my tongue, but thou knowest it all together. You're acquainted with all my ways. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down. So all of these things are true that he knows us completely. And then in verse 5, look at that verse. It says, Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. We are under his constant observation and care. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. That, that means that he's, we're under his care. Verse 6 says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. His knowledge is beyond our understanding. In Romans 11, verse 33, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Sometimes we think we've got everyone figured out. Have you ever said, well, you know, I, I know I know where that person's coming from. I figured them out. You don't figure out God. God has, says His ways are past finding out. In fact, sometimes, uh, even with all the revelation of what He is accustomed to do, what He will do, what He has done, we're still surprised at some things, aren't we? We find His ways are still past finding out. And that's what the psalmist said. Now I want you to notice... God's omnipresence. We've been talking about His knowledge now. And now we're talking about that God is everywhere present. Beginning with verse 7. He says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? You know, we have people trying to run away from God and hide from God. Adam tried to hide from God amongst the trees of the garden. And God said, Adam, where art thou? Well, God knew where He was. He was just giving him the opportunity to, to repent and turn. And confess if he would. He knew where he was all the while. He didn't have to come and say, Well, no, Adam, I can't find you. He says, Adam, where art thou? He knows where all of us are spiritually as well as physically. But he knows where we are spiritually. We might fool, try to fool someone and 
about our spirituality or about our condition and fellowship with God and everything, but we're not going to fool the Lord. He knows exactly where we stand. It says, uh, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? There was one that tried to run away from God. Remember, several, but in particular, Jonah. In the book of Jonah, chapter 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. He says, Jonah, you go preach to the wicked city of Nineveh. And it says, But Jonah, but Jonah. We're all fit in that category from time to time. But Jonah. We decide we're going to do different than what God has said. It says, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. What did the psalmist say? Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? And Jonah thought he could get away from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof. By the way, when you run away from God, you're going to pay the price. Paul was taken all the way to Rome and all the way on the journey on all the ships at God's charge. But Jonah paid the fare thereof. But you know, the Lord said concerning Paul, he says, you will be brought to your destination. You're going to be, you're going to arrive safely. And, and through all the things that transpired, Paul was taken care of all along the way. But here, Jonah paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them into Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. And then we find the story of what God did. And he got real nervous before it was all over, didn't he? I'll tell you what, when that storm came upon the sea and the sailor says, what in the world has happened to us? We didn't expect this. And they were real skilled men. And Jonah says, I know what the problem is. He says, it's me. Not my father, not my mother, but it's me, O Lord. And he says, unless you throw me overboard, he says, when you throw me overboard, the sea will be calm. Sure enough, they did. And a great fish swallowed up Jonah. And out of the belly of the fish, he cried out and says, out of the belly of hell cried I. He said the weeds were wrapped around his, his head. And he said, uh, well, let me read some of it. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me out of the belly of hell cried I. And thou heardest my voice, for thou hast cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Jonah was in a terrible situation. Then I said, I, I am cast out of thy sight, but he had faith, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. He was in the place of death, but he believed in the resurrection. Then he says, The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. There was no uh, barrier of distance between his prayer and God. And there's no barrier today. Sometimes we feel like, well, you know, so-and-so is way over there in another state or another part of the world. The prayer reaches God and God reaches them. That's why we need to pray for our missionaries. We've got some wonderful missionaries, some good men. I believe every one of them are good, uh, faithful missionaries. And so we need to pray for them and be faithful in our support to them as we have been. We always have been and continue to do that. But anyway, old Joni was still praying to God and he says, when my... Uh, uh, then he says in verse 8, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. 
He just kind of threw that in in the middle of his prayer. You know, sometimes the Holy Spirit just says, throw in this because you know what you're up against, Jonah. He'd been praying for deliverance and he said he had a lot of faith, but he realized his very condition. And he says, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. And here's just a scriptural truth he put in there. And he says, this is the way it is. But he says, but I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I vowed. And then he said, salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. When we come to the place in the midst of all of our problems and trials and troubles, and we admit that we our works are not going to save us, that our that anything about us, salvation is not in ourselves or is not in someone else, but if we cry out, salvation is of the Lord, that old fish got rid of him right, right away, didn't he? And listen, we'll be delivered out of our problems just as quickly. When we realize that it depends upon God for it to happen. When we think it depends upon us, we're going to be a long time trying to get it done. But if we realize it depends upon God. Back to our text now. It says in verse 7, 139 verse 7, If I ascend, uh, uh, whether shall I go from thy spirit, or whether shall I flee from thy presence? Now verse 8, If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. And he says, If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. So in heaven or in hell... We cannot escape His presence. Death does not escape God's presence. It's pointed when the man wants to die, and after this, the judgment. We all must face God. And thank God we have a way to face Him through Jesus without any fear. Without any fear. You know, I'd be a, there's some folks I know in this world that I'd be afraid to face God in their situation. The only way that I'm not afraid is to know that He's going to look upon me as a forgiven, redeemed soul through what Jesus has done. And John 5 verse 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation or that great final judgment, but is passed from death into life. So we have an exemption. You know, people like exemptions, don't they? We have an exemption that's the greatest exemption in the world. Exempt from the great judgment that is to come. There is a judgment seat of Christ for a Christian. That's a different matter and a different subject altogether. But we are exempt from that which would separate us eternally from God because Jesus has already been separated from God on the cross, said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And for our sins, He took that judgment and that separation. We preached on it this morning. And now we're free from it. Free from it. You know, I've seen people that accuse folks like you and I, if we believe what I'm preaching tonight, of eternal security, exemption from judgment, of being presumptuous. I don't believe it's ever presumptuous to take God at His Word. If God says it's that way, I'm going to take His Word for it rather than some man's argument about it. And He says it's that way. He says, you're passed from death into life and you shall not come into condemnation. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and I give them, they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. He says, My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no one is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I expounded that for you one evening, too, about the word man is in italics. Neither shall it, that means it was not in the original in that passage of Scripture, and it simply means this, neither shall any any power, any man, any devil, anyone, neither shall anything pluck them out of my hand, is what Jesus was saying. In other words, you're safe and secure. You have eternal life. Used to be a wonderful old Methodist preacher over the 
station in uh, in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and he came on. He's a Dr. E. F. Weber. Some of you've heard him in that area, and he says. God is still on the throne and he says prayer changes things. And furthermore, he said he preached on eternal security of the believer and he says what else is eternal life but eternal life? You try to explain that away. He believed in it. I'm glad some do. But, uh, you know, it's not just Baptists that believe that. Anyone that is a good Bible believer believes in, in these truths that we're presenting to you. And uh, the thing about it is, so many people are so mixed up, they don't want to accept what God says. They want to presume and to try to work out all the odds and ends and say, well, you know, I know that person was saved, but look at him now. Well, that doesn't mean anything. How do you know he's saved in the first place? And if he was, how do you know he's going to hell? You don't even know that. How do you know that God will not deal with him till he repents? How do you know that he will not have to suffer for those sins so much till finally he'll repent and turn back to God? We don't know. I've heard preachers say, you know, he died and went to hell. I'm never going to say that. I'll say never, but I hope I never say that. Sometimes we do say things in the spur of the moment. We're not the judge. We don't know. And by the way, you say, well, I saw him right up to the moment he died. Yeah, but you don't know that last minute. You don't know what he's thinking. You don't know what happened. Because that's between every individual and God. And God only knows. And that person may be dying the death of of a judgment that's brought upon him for some reason or may otherwise, but God knows the heart. And if your heart is right with God, that's the main thing, if it's right with God. And God looketh upon the heart. Well, let's look at the next verse. It says, um, so what we're saying is that we cannot escape His presence. And then, verses 8 and 9, it says, If I send up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, God is present in every uninhabited place. If I take the wings of the morning, you can go all over this earth. Or if I dwell in the depths of the sea, uttermost part of the sea. God has complete control of all this great universe, and He's all in all uninhabited places. Now then, the next verse. It says, Even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. So wherever you go, he, He's going to lead you and guide you if you're His child. Verse 11, if I say, surely darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. No amount of darkness can hide us from God. The Bible says, for his eyes are upon the ways of man. Listen, he seeth all his goings. There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. So in the darkness, God sees and he knows all about it. The next verse says, yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. God can see in the dark. And the darkness and uh, the light are both alike because God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. You read in 1 John chapter 1. Alright, look at the next verse. For thou hast possessed my reins. Here's God's foreknowledge. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. God planned it all. God foreknew it all. And he had careful supervision of our body even before it was born. Boy, listen, we could get on some of the abortionists now, couldn't we? Look at what that verse says. Thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. He had careful supervision of our body before it was born. Paul says uh, in the book of Galatians chapter 1. Let me see if I can find it. Verse 15, Paul says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. He says that that God that called Him, that separated from His mother's womb, 
called him by his grace. So God knew that he was going to call the Apostle Paul to be the Apostle before he was ever born. It indicates that that is the condition. Well, someone said, well, I am not so sure about that. Look in the book of Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. Let's read verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying... What did God say to Jeremiah? Before I, form, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. That takes you back a ways, doesn't it? He says, before you were even conceived, I knew that you were going to be, and I knew, and I knew you, and I ordained you. Someone says, when was this preacher ordained? I don't know. Maybe a long time ago. Maybe before 1952, September 1952 is when I surrendered to preach and then following that shortly ordination. Maybe before I was born, God ordained it. Maybe whatever calling and gift that He's given you, it was ordained of God before you were born. You say, preacher, that's stretching the matter. I don't think so. I don't think so. I believe God has a purpose for us from the very birth. And that's why it's so sinful to take that purpose away by killing Little babies that are unborn. They have a right to life. And they have a right to live. And boy, that's, that's a big political issue this year. And I guess, well, it should be. I don't know. I think I know there are certain instances or situations that have to be dealt with. I'm not going to argue that. Everything is not just black and white and you just nail it down and say there's no exception to the rule. But there are countries that 95% of the abortions are for birth control. Come on the news the other day. You can read it in in, in some uh, statistics that show that that's the way it's done. Just take care of it. They don't want the baby. Say, well, just get rid of it. It's a shame and a disgrace in the sight of God. And this nation is going to have to reap what it's sown. Look at the next verse here. It says, uh, and our time is about gone. Let me give you this and try to hurry and close. It says in verse 14, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. And that my soul knoweth right well. Notice that God has planned uh, our lives, our bodies. He's made our bodies. He's planned great things for us. We're we're fearfully, wonderfully, and marvelously made. His works are marvelous in doing this. In verse 15, My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lower parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, look, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. What days when there were no... Look, which, con, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. None of his members. Look at verse 17. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. God's thoughts can be counted for. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still... With thee. You heard of counting your many blessings. God's thought are toward us are great blessings toward us. And He's planned great things for us, and we cannot even number them. He says, If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. That's a lot of numbers, isn't it? When I awake, I am still with thee. Verse 19. On down we find God's wrath is reserved for the wicked. It says, Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. <clears throat> the lot of the wicked. And by the way, uh, David wanted no 
fellowship with them. He says, depart from me, you bloody men. We should have no fellowship with the uh, works of darkness. Verse 20 says, For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and am not grieved, uh, and, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee. We ought to hate those that God hates. Someone says, well, you know, hate, that's a bad word. It says, these six things doth the Lord hate. And he calls the road. And he says, and yea, seven are abomination to God. And you read them in Proverbs 6. You read Proverbs 6, verse 16 through 19. I won't take time to do it. And in view of all this, the last two verses, in view of all this, and all the above facts that we've uh, studied, we ought to pray the same prayer that David prayed. Verse 23 and 24. It says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. And he says, Try me and know my thoughts. Do we want God really to search us and know our heart? Do we want God to try and know our thoughts? We should ask God to examine us. And then it says, And see if there be any wicked way in me. In other words, you check me out. Be self Wanting God to give us a self-examination. An examination of our very inmost being. And then he says, And then, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is a wonderful psalm. We'll get into the next one in our next lesson on Wednesday night.